0: Episode 5, Pied in the Face. What is it about food that helps us access feelings and memories? Can wisdom, culture, and generational memory be passed on through recipe? In this episode of Mouth Level, I'm interviewing artist Russell Lauder on their performance titled Humble Pie. This talk took place on September 21st for Flotilla, a national conference of artist-run centres in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. For this talk, the artists made hand-whipped cream in a large bowl as they had a discussion with participants about their artistic practice growing up in PEI and critically examining whiteness and white supremacy in the art world. They compiled and recited quotes from three artists, and each time they said the words I, me, or mine, Russell asked participants to pie them in the face with a plate of whipped cream. So Russell, I know that we're good friends, so we know each other quite well, but maybe uh, we should start by telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: I am Russell Lauder. I am an interdisciplinary artist and musician based in Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island, which is unceded Mi'kmaq territory. I am constantly re-examining my role as a white artist in Canada. My practice explores my identity as a trans masculine femme and how that ties in to where I'm positioned to comment on the world around me.
0: So, on September 21st at Flotilla, you did your performance, Humble Pie. Mm-hmm. Um, and you were making whipped cream to critically talk about artists' responses and accusations of racism. And you were also addressing whiteness and white supremacy. So can you tell us a bit about your conceptual thought process when you were conceiving of this talk?
1: What I noticed about white artists in the global conversation addressing or attempting to address race in their work or critically address race in their work was that often the trauma of bodies of people of color was being exploited and um, abstracted and appropriated by these white artists as an objectified image or a provocative image or shock value to evoke emotions um, of the public. And I thought it was um, completely inappropriate uh, because the idea of uh, using the trauma or the um, violence against people of color as a spectacle by white people is not a new concept. It's a colonial practice, in my opinion. And it's a practice of white supremacy, in my opinion. But these artists were coming from places of, said that they were coming from places of trying to um, send the opposite message or critically address white supremacy or or violence towards people of color. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was completely insensitive and counterproductive. The three artists that that I was focusing on were um, Dana Schutz, who is a white artist whose work was shown at the Whitney Biennial of uh, 2017, and uh, she had abstracted the image of young Emmett Till, who was a 14-year-old boy who was lynched at the hands of white supremacy um, for a crime he didn't commit, and there was an iconic image uh, that his mother had initially shown of him in the open casket, completely uh, mangled and disfigured by the attacks of these two white men as he was, uh, he was falsely accused by a white woman. So Dana Schutz did a, a painting uh, where she had abstracted this image, and it was shown at the Whitney Biennial. And it caused a lot of controversy. The image was asked to be taken down by several artists of color. Uh, There was a protest piece surrounding it. Another artist that I um, was critically examining was uh, T. Rockmore, who is another white artist who had um, created a life sculpture of um, the body of Michael Brown, who was a recent Black victim of police brutality. He was shot dead in the street. And then another artist was Kenneth Goldsmith who read Michael Brown's autopsy report as a poem. These are all American artists, but I believe it does apply to North America. Um, So I had researched these white artists response to being called out to their work, being called out as racist, Mm -hmm. um, as exploitative, as appropriative, as insensitive, which I believe they are all those things. And, um, I just noticed that there was a complete lack of accountability in the artist's response to the critique of their work. And most of the critique was given by artists of color who were saying, this is causing more trauma. This is not your imagery to be using. If you, like, if you want to be critical, you should be examining your historic role mm-hmm. in this. Like, for example, if Dana Schutz had drawn attention to the white woman that accused Emmett Till of wolf whistling at her or catcalling her Mm -hmm. who eventually came forward this past year and actually admitted to lying. So yeah, there's just, there was a lot of of things that I felt needed to be addressed and I felt that the conversation was remaining very static because like as much as I think white guilt is boring and useless, I think it is something that white artists need to openly unpack in order to address their roles as Mm -hmm. a lot of, a lot of the conversations that are happening now are starting to be recognized as static and colonial and white. And Mm -hmm. so I was just trying to draw attention to that. So what I did was I gathered responses from all of these artists that had been, um, critically, um, or that had been criticized. And a lot of the responses were complete evasions of accountability. Mm -hmm. There was no apology. I created a literary, work, I guess, or a list of, of all these quotes that these white artists were saying. And then I asked uh, members of the audience to pie me in the face every time I said, I, me, or my from these quotes. Mm-hmm. And Every single quote had an I, me, or my. And every single quote was either an invasion of accountability or some sort of half-baked reference to past works that are completely irrelevant or, you know, it was, it was really strange. So I did the performance in three segments. So I read a third of the list of quotes. And then I kind of stopped and did a check-in and asked how, like, if there were any questions or how people were feeling. Can you, like, can you talk
0: about what it felt like to be pied in the face? Like, did it go like you expected or?
1: Physically, it definitely didn't go as expected. Um, (laughs) I mean, the pieing in the face is, is... an act of absurdity and ridiculousness and you look at the history, the comedic history, but you also look at the political history of it. And especially in Canada where it has been used as a tool of shame. So that was where I was coming from with it. But I think that if there was an impulse to laugh during the pie in the face, there was really nothing funny about the performance I don't know if it was coming across that way to everybody because I mean, there were moments where it was like, wow, this is ridiculous. But Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it also was, it wasn't ridiculous because it was funny. It was ridiculous because of how insensitive the words actually were. For the third segment, after I had like, after I had done kind of two check-ins, there was one artist. So she had been, like she'd come to the front and um, she herself was, is deaf and had um, had a, had a, uh, an interpreter, a sign language interpreter. So the sign language interpreter was there like interpreting the manifesto or the quote unquote manifesto the whole time. And so she, she volunteered to come up and uh, the interpreter came up. And as I was reading the manifesto, I read uh, one sentence and I had about eight pies in front of me that were filled with whipped cream. And so I read one sentence and she took one pie and like put all the whipped cream from that pie into one other pie. And I was like, okay. So I just repeated the sentence and I kept repeating it and repeating it. And she kept doing the same thing with each pie until it was just like all of the whipped cream from all the pies were in this one giant, like mountain of pie. And I was thinking, oh. my god um and then I finally uh finished reading the entire manifesto and when I got to the last sentence she just took the entire giant mega pie and put it on top of my head and that was kind of the finale of it the points that she brought forward were um the lack of accountability that she sees artists run centers um not accommodating like hearing impaired people or or Disabilities of any kind. Uh-huh. So that was that was actually that was really cool. That was my favorite part of the performance, actually, because the the energy in the space was tense. Like mm-hmm. it was really tense because yeah. people aren't comfortable talking about this, and it was mostly white people in the room. Um, which I'm actually I'm glad it was mostly white people in the room because I didn't want to put the onus on people of color to critically address whiteness because artists of color have been doing that forever. Uh-huh. So I thought it was really good that the conversation was happening, but it definitely was not comfortable by any means.
0: Was it significant for you to be doing it in PEI, having grown up there,
1: Charlottetown being such a white place? Yeah, I mean, I grew up in PEI. I'm a white person with colonial settler lineage, and so I grew up in PEI with a very privileged Existence, you know, despite the fact that, you know, yes, I'm trans, yes, I like there are, mar- like, I am marginalized in certain ways, but that is definitely not one of them. And the POC friends that I have here do feel alienated in most circumstances and do face racism on a daily basis. There's also a culture of, like, not being open to critical dialogue. Um, on PEI, because it is such a small community, and everybody just wants to, like, everybody wants to think that it's heaven on earth, and it's kind of, it's even marketed in tourism campaigns as, you know, this paradise, but it also has this really, like, this really violent history, and there, there are they're, like, all these colonial statues, there's all these colonial monuments, I find it really nauseating, so, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. okay thank you so much yeah thank you
0: an important moment to the talk was when Tiffin of Spill Propagation and Artist Run Centre in Quebec volunteered to pie Russell in the face instead of pieing Russell in the face every time they said the word I Tiffin continued to pile up the whipped cream on an aluminum sheet when all the whipped cream was on the tray Tiffin threw it on Russell's face she responded in this way to talk about the ways that ASL is a very visual language. Spell Propagation is an artist-run center which works with deaf artists to decenter phonocentrism in culture. It wasn't until Fenn's participation in this talk that I thought about how podcasts are completely inaccessible to deaf and hard of hearing folks. So I decided to interview Fenn on how they felt about this talk. Up next, I will be reading Tiffen's response to Russell's performance. My name is Tiffen Giraud, and I'm the director of Spill Propagation, an artist-run centre that explores the intersections of art, sign language, and people. I recently attended Russell Ladder's presentation and enjoyed finding an open outdoor space of courage, exploration and inquiry. During the presentation, Russell invited the audience to participate. Russell had whipped a batch of frothy white cream by hand and was reciting a letter. It escapes me what the letter was about, but I remember it was acts of oppression represented in the form of text on a page. At one point, I took a turn and was standing next to Russell holding a pie plate of whipping cream waiting for my cue. At each sentence that said I, I was to launch the cream onto their face. I waited. Russell looked up at me, paused, then continued to read the letter. I had missed the I. I was listening to the letter through a sign language interpreter, and inevitably, I'm a few seconds behind the flow of speech. I missed the second cue. The tin plate grew heavy. I looked within. I caught the next eye and did not throw the plate on their face, but rather threw another scoop of cream onto the plate. There was a recalibration of the expected and I continued, plop, eye, plop, eye, plop, plop, plop. The layers grew as they often do within me but now the layers were visible for all to see. The eyes in the room watched and waited. Then, when I decided to, the cream fell, in white waves down their face, neck and shoulders reaching the floor. You have asked me what brought me to Flotilla. My simple answer is access. I'm grateful to the Conference Planning Committee, to Russell, and to you at iLevel for making your spaces open and accessible to me and in turn allowing me to join the conversation. This translation was provided by Paula Bath. You have been listening to Math Level, iLevel's Food for Thoughts podcast. I'm your host and editor, Camila Salcedo. Thank you so much for listening. I would like to give a special thanks to David Clark and Julia Macmillan for helping me with this project. All music for this episode has been gathered from freesound.org.